0: Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM.
1: Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and you heard my fellow host, Jason Snow. Hello. We're back. Episode two. We, we did the intro together and it felt good. Yeah, it's teamwork. Um,
0: also, it's good that you don't have to be a rocket scientist because uh, we are not. No. Let's just restate that. For those who have not heard the show before or maybe have been confused that we sounded knowledgeable, we are fans of space uh who are entirely unqualified to take a job working on science.
1: I mean, so, if science needed a podcaster,
0: yeah, <laughs> okay, you're right. You got that. We are we're qualified for that, but it is we're driven by our enthusiasm is what I'm saying. So, we got we got some great feedback uh, for episode one, um, some of the feedback asked questions that were so complex that I was like, I think they are thinking of a different show that is populated by people who know things about <laughs> about deep science that we perhaps don't know. But, you know, we could look things up on the Internet.
1: It's true. It's It's basically just us reading. Wikipedia pages. No, that's, <laughs> not tr- that's not true. That's not true. That's not
0: true. Both of us have spent a lifetime reading incredibly nerdy things about space. I think we've already established that.
1: So, uh, yeah, we did, we got a lot of follow-up. We appreciate the follow-up. You can uh, email us from the, the page at relay.fm slash liftoff, or you can hit us up on Twitter at liftoffpodcast. A lot of that stuff we're filing away for possible future episodes. Uh, a lot of the stuff about the moon we're going to answer today, and a lot about the moon we can't answer. So, <laughs> so there's that. Um, I will say uh, we got a couple pieces of follow-up that we want to address specifically. We got an email from listener Chris. Did you you see this email, Jason? I did see that email. It's a good email. We spoke last time about how this is a podcast that has very broad horizons, more than just what NASA is doing, but things uh, in China and Russia and at the ESA and the Canadian Space Agency, which I just started following on Twitter this week. Uh, so lots of lots of uh different agencies and companies or things that we're following and uh Chris's email sort of uh falls into this so so Jason what is he uh what is he talking about here
0: yeah so the idea here is that since we're we intend to be an international podcast and uh talk about different nations and of course I mean you said uh big horizons maybe even no horizons right like out into space um He's talking about Chris. Chris from New Zealand, and he was talking about how different countries name their astronauts. And I thought this was uh, really interesting. So Americans, we call them astronauts. I just use the word astronaut. I'm American. I use that word. But you know, obviously, Russia uh, calls their space travelers cosmonauts. The Chinese uh, astronauts are taikonauts. Um, and the question is, uh, would other countries name their astronauts something different because? mostly i think you're you're hitching you're either one of those three countries or you're hitching a ride on one of their ships and so in the in that case they are just astronauts or cosmonauts or whatever um i don't know i don't know what they would call themselves although he says that that indians call them vyomanauts i think um so that's kind of cool everybody i'm not quite sure why it is that everybody gets their, to make up their own word for space traveler uh, other than that it's fun so it, it is fun. I really
1: yeah. have always been a fan of cosmonaut. Like it just sounds uh it sounds cooler than astronaut, I think. Oh, they, yeah, and,
0: I don't I don't know if I'd say that, but I, I do like it. It's a it's a fun word. And they have the
1: Cosmodrome. There.
0: uh Now that is the about as fun a word as there could possibly <laughs> yeah. be. The Cosmodrome. Uh, it sounds the Bikonur, like a Baikonur Cosmodrome. Yeah,
1: it's pretty it's a place I want to go. I wanna go hang out at the Cosmodrome. And it's in Kazakhstan,
0: right? And it's it is. leased by the Russian because it was part of the Soviet space effort and uh, even though the Soviet Union broke up, that's where the Russian space agency launches because it's it's you know, it's further south. It's uh, easier to get into certain orbits from there. This was not in our notes at all. Talk about the Baikonur Cosmodrome was not in our notes, but uh but yeah, it's uh it's in Kazakhstan and leased to Russia. Um to because that's where the center of the Soviet space launches was.
1: Yep, uh, we have a uh, an email from uh, listener Dan.
0: Yes, listener Dan uh, da, Dan Don something like that D A A N. Um, we're not going to go into this in too much detail, but I really like this was a question that I wanted to pick out and uh, because it's it's uh, it's representative of some of the questions we got and it's kind of a fun question and I hope to do some more science stuff like this in future episodes. So what Don wrote was, um, uh if one day the sun stops working, what will be the cause that that humanity will die? Which is really nice. <laughs> Have a happy day, everybody. <laughs> um, so the short version of this is, and he's like, what would be the last of oxygen with photosynthesis? Would would be the decreasing temperature? Well, first off, the sun short of something that we don't completely understand that was purely science fictional. The sun's not going to stop working like one day, like they flip a light switch and the sun just turns off. But I believe if the sun did turn off, we would all freeze to death. I think that's basically what would happen because we would freeze to death. Or if you were in a protected place, you might, um, you might uh, die of a lack of oxygen, uh, not because of something like photosynthesis, because that's a much more long and complex process, but because it would get so cold that the atmosphere would snow out of the out of the atmosphere or onto the ground and that would be the end uh even if you were somewhere you you'd, you'd lose your atmosphere so that that would be bad however that's not going to happen and in fact i was reading about a, a classic science fiction novel the other day that was about the far future when the sun is dimmer and earth turns cold which is a really exciting uh, concept for a far future novel except for one thing which is what we know one of the things we know about stellar dynamics now is that the sun is going to keep getting brighter and 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 hotter as it gets older. Is
1: that a no? Where we're, in that scenario we'd all be cooked?
0: Yeah, exactly. One of those exoplanets that we were talking about in the last episode. You know, its uh, its star is a little bit older, and so it's a little hotter. And uh, so it, you know, and that is the fate of the Earth. Is that even before the sun swells into a red giant and may or may not swallow the Earth at that point? Um, and there's, uh, it used to be assumed that it would, and then there was a question that it wouldn't. I'm not quite sure what, what the—I believe it's unclear now about whether it would or not, but it won't matter because it will have been cooked— thoroughly by the time that happens. So, you know, you don't have to worry about it. I'm fascinated by the subject of uh, the lives and deaths of stars and the future of our own solar system and even, and the past of how our solar system formed. And I hope we can talk about some of that in future episodes because, you know, I, although, you know, we've been talking a lot about, about space exploration, um, human space flight, uh, the uh the space robots that we send out there i think talking about some of these other issues definitely people have questions about you know how does the sun work or what's going to be the fate of the of the of uh, the solar system or the fate of the universe and that's fun stuff to talk about at some point but uh short answer i want to reassure listener don and everyone else the sun is not going to just shut off tomorrow but if it did um you'd probably just uh, freeze to death so bring a blanket
1: <laughs> yeah that, that that'll work either, either way if it disappears or if it swells into a red giant and then uh neither of those outcomes is particularly pleasant for the human race uh no. or really any life whatsoever so
0: yeah yeah but the the by the time I should also reassure people the sun will bake the earth so far from now that it i believe will be longer than there's been any life on the planet so it'll be a while uh, yeah. certainly far 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 more than uh life as we know it Right. existed definitely
1: so, uh, after i get this edited and published but if it's yeah, in the in between time. we'll follow up
0: <laughs> we'll do some follow-up from our, our our space hab uh, <laughs> or or from our our base under beneath antarctica something like that
1: perfect we had a lot of people uh write in asking about the theme music uh, of the show uh-huh. and uh, uh, a lovely gentleman by the name of chris breen someone you've worked with uh, for yes. a, a long time uh, wrote our theme song, and he has a blog post up on his site about the uh, about the song. Which I just the more I listen to it, the more I love. It's beautiful.
0: Um, it's a nice piano piece. He said he tried to imagine the the filet uh, the, uh, the the lander on the comet, um, kind of traveling through the solar system on this comet and watching everything go by. A um, little sad, little lonely, because sort of the depths of space, but also very beautiful. Um, And so he wrote a post about it, which is very nice. And uh, I've been working with Chris uh, for a long time, worked with him when he was a writer. His wife was my managing editor for a long time. Um, And uh, he has also written the theme song for pretty much every podcast that I've ever been on. So I'm glad that he, he contributed that. theme theme song to, uh, to lift off so thank you to Chris and you can check out his blog post in the show notes and he makes all of his podcast music available to play and download from his website too so you can check that out if you want to hear the whole thing um, you can uh, follow the links and listen to the whole theme. And actually, a listener created a remix version of it. That's an extended mix that adds strings and stuff in it too, which is pretty cool. So, uh, that, yeah, it's pretty great. So, thank you to Chris for uh, for writing that. And I owe him a t-shirt now. When we make a lift-off t-shirt, he'll he'll get one. That'll be his payment.
1: Perfect. Uh, so we have a sort of a mini topic before we get to our main topic of uh, the Earth's Moon, and that is. Something that I did not expect us to cover on this podcast, but the band One Direction has a new music video.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. Listener Mary sent us a link to this too, so I want to give her a, a yes. shout out. Um yeah, One Direction music video shot at uh at NASA. Did, did you watch it? I did watch it.
1: It's 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 not my cup of tea musically, but it's fun to see a lot of NASA in a music video. Yeah, my uh
0: my uh uh daughter would like it. I'm not sure I showed it. I think I played it with the sound down low because I just didn't want to have. How do you talk to your teenagers about One Direction? I don't know. So I didn't do that. But uh, basically, they are singing and dancing around uh, in, uh, you know, at, uh, are they at, where are they? Are they at, jo- where Where uh, but- did they shoot the video? Is it Johnson Space Center? Yes, or- Johnson Space yeah. Center okay so they and there there are a couple of things where they're in stuff like in little uh vehicles and trainers and things and there there's a mock-up of the orion uh capsule that they're that they're building that i think boeing is building for the commercial crew program um that would theoretically send you to send you to mars eventually um and uh and so that's all cool and it's sort of all intercut with them in a hangar, basically singing. And then also they're they're putting on spacesuits. It's very right stuff kind of thing, which it, it is kind of funny because it's like a boy band is, you know, like getting the glory treatment of being astronauts and they're a boy band. Um, but, you know. In the end, they uh, they get in the, the way the video is edited. They get in the spaceship and and the uh, and the rockets fire and they're launched into space. And I have been saying for years that we should fire one direction into space, and finally it's <laughs> happened. So,
1: oh no! There's, thanks NASA. <laughs> there's a we put a link in the show notes as well to NASA's Tumblr, which we spoke about uh, last time. They have uh, a little breakdown of some of the equipment used and seen in the video, which I think is really cool. So they have the uh, space exploration vehicle and a uh, so gravity simulator and all sorts of stuff in there. So it's it's all real stuff. Yeah. It's not it's not you know these guys aren't in front of a green screen. They're actually in in these in this and thing they, doing yeah. these things.
0: Yeah, and then they were actually shot into space where they remain. No, that part was fake. That part, but everything else was real.
1: So yeah, so that's that's the thing we've done now on our new podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk about One Direction. So expect that that's the new vertical in the liftoff podcast, the One Direction update. Or really any, you know, any boy band could fit in that topic area.
1: It's not what I sent on for, Jason. Mm-mm.
0: No, this is it. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks for listening <laughs> to Lift Off. We will never yeah. be back. <laughs> Join your new host to talk more about One Direction next week. Yeah, it's a bait and switch, yeah. really. Oh, uh, we got him interested in space. It's all One Direction all the time. The uh, One uh, Direction, Stephen, is up to space. That's the One Direction,
1: turns out. Alright. You- are you done? <laughs> I think I'm done now, yeah. So we, we're we going to talk about the, the moon today, and not just any moon, Jason, but our moon, our very own moon. Earth's moon. Earth's moon. And uh, this was something that we've wanted to do uh, in, in coming up with what this podcast would be about having these episodes that are, are focused on really one subject and kind of exploring that subject. uh you know, uh, in a, from a, mul- a multitude of, of angles. And uh, so Earth's moon is up first. We decided since it's pretty close, it would be a good place to start. Uh, It's not really how yeah. I chose it. I just, it came to mind. And <laughs> sure. That was it. I have, you know, when you were a kid and you would spin the globe and you put your finger down and then you'd like pretend that's where you're going to go on vacation. Um, That's how we pick these. We just, we have a map of the universe and uh-huh. like pen, so pen, dark. yeah, pin the tail on the universe and see what you get. Yeah we got the moon. We didn't get very far this time, only no. about 239,000 miles away. <laughs> nice knowledge. Good job. That's in the it's in the outline here, see? It's, yeah. So I know I
0: was playing along. I was, mm. you know,
1: I was trying to act depressed, but I appreciate but
0: that. yeah. The moon. It's nearby. You may have seen it in the sky. You know one of my favorite things about the moon is that uh it's clearly visible in the daytime. I love that. I always uh uh I always love looking up and seeing seeing the moon and I feel like it seems more uh this seems crazy but it seems more round it feels to me more like a a round object when i see it in the in the daytime sky and part of that is because the phase of the moon uh that it's in when it's in the day it's got to be fairly close to the sun to be visible um because obviously when it's full it's opposite the sun um some astronomy knowledge there if you've ever seen a movie where there's like a full moon uh in the sunset (laughs) that doesn't happen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the moon's in the other side of the sky at that point because that's what makes it a full moon is that it's opposite the sun, um, but uh, I do love the uh I, I do love looking at it in the daytime especially and it's uh you know it's very cool and there's a lot of people talk- who suggest that um we don't know because we don't know enough about other planets about exoplanets and 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 life in the universe but you know some people theorize that the presence of our moon is one of the reasons that Earth is so. Uh, hospitable to life, and that that might be something that in the future we will look at in uh, in exoplanets to find sort of uh, stable orbits that are in the in the Goldilocks zone, but also perhaps that have satellites that can uh, that that may be part of the equation to make Earth a, a friendly place for life. So yay, moon is what I'm saying. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 pro
0: moon. I will say you're pro moon. Good, that's good. I, I am. <laughs> that's good. That, that's thank Thankfully, there's nobody here from the vicious. Destroy the moon. There was an episode of Doctor Who last year called "Kill the Moon," which mm. involved a uh, the moon was theorized to be an egg, and a monster would hatch out of it. But mm. in the end, the moon was it was fine.
1: I thought big. it was just covered in Ewoks.
0: They, uh. they didn't they didn't kill the moon. They mm. just replaced it with another moon.
1: So let let's talk some general facts, Jason. Okay, as we said, two hundred and thirty nine thousand miles away from the Earth, and that number is basically meaningless, right? Like, it, it's a big number. I don't know how long it take me to drive there. But it's about nine times uh, further away than a trip is around the Earth's equator. So if you circled the Earth's equator nine times, you could have also gone to the Moon in the same amount of miles. So it's a long, it's a long way.
0: I mean, it took the Apollo astronauts what three days? Three to days. Get there?
1: Yep. Um, in the future, we may be able to go there faster. But in the Apollo era, the Saturn V get them there in in, in three days. Which, if you if you think about it that way, it's it's sort of the world's like. Uh, longest and sort of worst slash best car ride (laughs) you know it's like are we there yet are we there yet 72 hours later we are it orbits the earth jason in 27 days and that number is important for a couple of reasons because the the earth not only circles us every 27 days it turns on its own axis every 27 days as well so we have a link uh in the show notes to this rather adorable video i found on YouTube. Um That illustrates this much better than I could explain it because words are hard, but mm. so that the moon is spinning at a at a rate of speed and it is also circling the earth, and those things put together mean we basically only see one side of the moon, you know there's the the near side and then the far side of the moon, and we see just just our side it doesn't spin in a way that we can see the far side really ever from our vantage point here. Right Earth. there's a,
0: there's a little wobbling so you can sort of see a little bit more right. I think we can see like I I I'm making this number up but I think we can see like 53% or something of the moon's surface it's it's something that's more than half but because there's a little bit of wobble but um but pretty much we you know it's locked and and uh if you've ever tried this um the way to think about this is the simultaneous I mean it's tidal locking it's it's a 1 to 1 Uh, This is about the the power of the Earth's gravity. They've come into this uh, this nice state where they're in sync. Um, But if you if you if you hold like a globe and like a tennis ball and try to imagine, um, you know, moving the tennis ball around the globe. You know, you can't just hold the ball steady or the globe sees all the sides of the tennis ball. You have to turn your hand as you move the tennis ball around the globe. And that's the rotation of the moon. The moon is rotating. If you were on the moon, you would have days. The sun would go up and it would come down. Um, But if you were on the near side, the, the earth would always be there and if you were on the far side of the earth it would never be there. So it is it is rotating but we don't think of it that way because it's rotating as it moves around us and so we always are like hey that's the moon. Uh you know there it is because it's always there.
1: Right. So this is called a synchronous rotation. And what and what's interesting is this phenomenon is actually found in a lot of moons in our solar system. Mm-hmm. There are many, in like fact most moons in the solar system operate in this way. So that you know going back to talking about to, does the moon You know, does it uh, give Earth something special? Does it help with that spark of life? Um, That's not true in other places in our solar system, but there are characteristics that are the same, which is is pretty fascinating, something that I learned researching this. I didn't realize that uh, our moon was not especially unique uh, in this way, which is is, pretty cool.
0: Yeah, there are a lot of orbital resonances in the the solar system because you get big objects moving around each other. And, you know, we always think of... Uh, I think I said this last time, too. We always think of the, the universe as static, but it's actually dynamic. It's just dynamic on a time scale that's beyond us. And this is an example where, you know, over the course of millions of years or billions of years, things sink into these resonance patterns because the, that the physics of it, it actually works. And although the moon is gradually getting further away from the Earth... Uh, and I believe slowing the Earth's rotation a little bit again on a time scale that like the sun going out or getting hot doesn't really concern us humans. Um, you know it has fallen into this synchrony with uh, with the uh, the Earth, just like a lot of other moons do with their uh, with their planets. Because the planets so dominate the, the gravity that they end up, you know, certain distances away. In Jupiter and Saturn, you'll see moons that are are at, like, multiples of each other. It's this whole complex interplay of gravity. And it's not an accident. It's like, over over billions of years, this is the sort of, like, stable configuration they end up in.
1: So the, the orbit the moon takes is not completely symmetrical. It is slightly elliptical. So we see... Uh, you see from time to time you might be driving down the highway at night and think, man, the moon looks much bigger than normal. Uh, nope. <laughs> it's not bigger, it's just closer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a famous... That's the Well, no, it's the famous... So if you're driving down the highway and it's down at the horizon, it's just an optical illusion. It seems bigger, but it's not. It's not. But yes, the moon is somewhat bigger sometimes, but I'm skeptical. I'm not sure the super moon is, is really like a thing that a normal person would ever be able to tell the difference from a regular moon. But they, it does get a little bigger and a little smaller, but but chances are the reason it looks so big is that it's near the horizon and it's full, and you're like, wow, that's a big moon. It's like, yeah, it looks that's an optical illusion. But it does, it does. Uh, th- this all feeds in. It's not perfect, right? It's a little elliptical, and right. and uh, and that's and we can peek around the edges a little bit and see a little bit more from time to time. There's a co- there's some cool animations of of the full moon, um. The, uh, over the course of uh, many full moons and you can see the little tilts that we get a little bit of it. Um, but yeah, when they talk about the super moon, it's not like it's twice as big, but it is incrementally bigger because sometimes it's closer to us and sometimes it's further away.
1: You look out the window and it's all you can see. If it's that close, something has gone terribly wrong. That is
0: really, that's like an episode of Space 1999, which is a TV show from the 70s that I don't Really recommend, but um, (laughs) it does involve the moon breaking free of the Earth's orbit, which is sounds again. I think like the sun shutting off is not something that would actually ever uh, possibly happen. But it's kind of fun to think about stuff like that. Um, You know, tides. Tides um, is a big thing about the moon too. One of the there are solar tides, but really Earth's tides are affected largely by the moon. That the moon's gravity affects the Earth in uh some ways that are very noticeable to humans and tides is an example where the moon's gravity is moving the water around and that's why we get high tides and low tides as as the uh, earth turns um around in its uh on its axis and the moon is you know hanging out doing its doing its thing that as the earth turns around the gravity from the moon is pulling on different parts of the earth and it's pulling the water and we get uh, we get tides
1: yep it's all uh like a lot of that interplay like you're talking about. Um, so the the moon itself, we're going to talk about some physical characteristics. But we talked about how far away it is, but we haven't really talked about the size of the moon itself. But it's roughly a, a quarter of the size of the Earth. Um, and it only has about 16% of, of the gravity. So you see those those uh, videos of the astronauts who landed on the moon. Uh, Twelve of them have have walked on the moon. And they're sort of bouncing along and they're driving there the uh the lunar rover and it sort of looks like you're sort of skipping across the lake almost that's due to that that uh that gravity being so much less than we have here where if i jump here in my office it's not gonna be very impressive but if i jump on the moon it's going to be slightly more impressive
0: yeah the moon is uh, a lot less dense than the earth uh and that's why it has less gravity even though it's uh pretty big it's made up of light stuff and there's a um there's i guess I'll mention it now it's a little later in our notes but there's this theory about how the 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 moon was formed the most likely idea right now is that there was a, a collision in the early solar system between earth and a mars sized object um and that's a big collision <laughs> that's a lot, a lot of violence and the idea there is that that collision it may have been uh you know a glancing blow but it knocked a lot of material off of the earth and smashed this mars-sized object and over again the course of a lot of time what happened is that it, it coalesced into the earth and the moon there's this feeling that a lot of the heaviest material From that object went to the earth and that the moon is sort of like the lighter debris that was left over after the collision that's one of the that's one of the popular theories that these things smashed together um the heavy stuff stayed on the earth and the earth sort of cooled down and reformed and the junk that was around uh the earth kind of accumulated over time and formed this formed the moon and that's where the moon came from and that would be one of the reasons why the moon would be less dense than the earth because it doesn't have the heavy stuff. The heavy stuff was in the earth. And this is more kind of like the, the d- detritus of the collision. Um, and also that when they analyze the uh, the material on the moon, when the, the moon rocks and things came back and, and and they could verify that, I believe the moon's material is very similar to the material that makes up the uh, kind of like upper sections of the earth, the earth's crust. Um, and uh, so we've got that in common, and that's one of the reasons why there's a feeling that the Earth and the Moon um, were formed in that way. So it's a pretty cool, crazy idea. There's some cool animations online suggesting how it might have looked to have this giant object just smash into the Earth and then uh, reform. And if that's true, then what we think of as the Earth, as this one blob that accumulated in the solar system in the early times, uh, the story is actually a little more complicated where some of the stuff we have in in the Earth now is actually... Uh, from accumulated somewhere else on a different path and then kind of smashed into us and we took it on and i mean that's the story of the early solar system is everything smashing into everything else um, before it finally settles down but that may be how we got the moon
1: yep so uh, i i like what you said too about the the characteristics being similar the both the moon and the earth have a core mantle and crust now the moon the the ratio between those is different where the uh, the core is is not particularly all that exciting at the moon again it seems to be made up of this uh less dense material and over time the the two sort of separated uh, like if you shake up uh the the visual that I thought I saw one article describe it as like like a you put oil and water or oil and vinegar in a in a container and shake it up and things sort of separate by density not a perfect uh example mm-hmm. but sort of that idea of that things sort of separated out um but the moon did form in a similar way, where it has that core, mantle, and crust, just like we do here on uh, our home planet.
0: Yep, the heavy stuff goes to the center, and uh, but they don't have as much, you know, they moon people <laughs> they. they don't have as much uh heavy stuff, so their their uh, their core is um is small and light, and I think that's probably why there's very little magnetic field on the on the right. moon too. Yeah. What else? Oh, um. So one of the really interesting things about the moon, and uh, if you've never looked at pictures of the far side of the moon, um, as the as the record album goes, there is no dark side of the moon. Matter of fact, it's all dark. A Pink Floyd reference. I didn't know we'd go there. Um, it, the far side of the moon doesn't look like the near side. The the um, the near side has these uh, the mare, the seas, um that are uh like cool down lava the, the, they're like these they're they're newer surfaces they're less cratered and they're darker um and uh so uh they're called the seas because because they you know just like the canals on mars we early astronomers made up lots of analogs of things on earth to imagine what they would be like in space and they're not those things but those things those maria though the the don't don't really exist on the other side. So there's something about their the formation and the fact that it's that that uh, the moon is facing um, facing the Earth. Um, there there are and I don't I don't know the the details of that, but you know there there are the stories are a little bit different and the and the uh, the far side is heavily cratered, um, probably because it's I'm gonna somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Probably in part because it's not facing the Earth, so it's a little less just the math of it. It's a little less shielded than the, it's got, it doesn't have a planet between it and a bunch of junk. Um, but, but so they're different and and we hadn't even ever seen until we launched a spacecraft to shoot by it. We hadn't even seen the far side of the moon before, um, but there's no like cities and, and moon people there. It's just a super, super cratered uh, and much lighter because it doesn't have the, the, the mare, the uh, lava flows on it.
1: Yep. It's uh, we've got a link in the show notes to a, a picture of it. It really is incredible side by side the the difference between them. I and mean, you would almost think that they're two different different bodies. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and you're right. We didn't see it until 1953, I think, is when, uh, Luna Three, uh, which we're gonna get to, kind of flew by probe. and sent you know really probe, yeah, yep, really grainy picture. But of course, uh, but it's like the
0: man in the moon part. <laughs> Right, it's not there. It's just not there. The man lives on our side. <laughs> man doesn't live on the other side. I'll mention again, by the way, for people who missed it last time, that if you're in the if you're in the the uh, northern hemisphere and you're used to seeing the moon a certain way, and you go to the southern hemisphere, it will be like the moon is upside down. You're upside down compared to where you were, but the moon turns around, which is crazy, but it's true. It's true. It's true fact. Oh, that's um, what we're about here. But the man on the moon—that's one way to orient—is the the dark the dark stuff. And if you're if you were looking at the other side of the moon, you wouldn't see any of that.
1: Uh, Jason, you want to tell us about our awesome sponsor this week? Yeah, yeah, we
0: have a sponsor, um, and it is the our good friends at uh, Wobbleworks, Works, ma- makers of Luminos. Uh, Luminos is the amazing space simulator for the iPad, the iPhone, and the Apple Watch, and it's got something for every astronomy enthusiast. You cannot only. Hold up your device. Just hold it up and identify your favorite objects in the sky, which I love. That is the best feature of uh, any smartphone ever. What is that in the sky? Why? It's Venus. Um, But with, other than the moon, I can identify the moon on site. I don't even need to look that up in an app uh, because it's really big. But uh, So with a tap, you can launch through space and visit these objects in the sky firsthand luminos recreates the solar system accurately in 3d it's right in the palm of your hand it's got any astronomy feature you might want detailed planet and moon maps tens of thousands of asteroids and comets millions of stars the largest deep space image catalog on mobile wireless telescope control and more you can even view live sky charts on your Apple Watch. Now, Luminose is the flagship app from Wobbleworks, which is a family business. John and Brian at Wobbleworks have been, they've got got more than 50 years of hardware and software experience between them. They've worked at small startups, they've worked at large enterprises, including Apple, Microsoft, and Oracle. Luminos has been in development for more than 10 years and on the App Store for almost five. One price, no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases. They're in their fifth year providing free feature updates. A one low price for luminos at wobbleworks they pride themselves on crazy attention to detail i'll give you an example the latest free update added meteor showers but with a twist they actually modeled meteors as 3d objects in space so that you can not only track meteors from the ground but simulate a shower from earth's orbit that's pretty cool see it from the other side they even built recreations of historic meteor storms such as the leonid shower of 1833 so much in Luminos, you got to check it out. Go to wobbleworks.com, W O B B L E works.com. And thank you to Wobbleworks and Luminos for sponsoring Liftoff.
1: Very, very cool app. You're going to fly to the moon. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the, uh, the question that we're going to answer next is can the moon support life? And the, the TLDR is not without a lot of work. Nope. <laughs> it's not a very nice place. <laughs>
0: No, it basically has no atmosphere, yep. so don't try to breathe it.
1: Yep, and it, the 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 tiny sliver atmosphere is there, or is made up of things like helium and neon and yeah, hydrogen, the,
0: like noble gases and uh, and hydrogen, and it's just completely tenuous. Yeah, that's going to burn a little bit. This is why your 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 famous astronauts on the moon always had the uh, the spacesuits on, is because there's nothing to breathe there. Um, although, um we know that there's the, this uh uh there's there's water ice at least in some places probably in the polar regions down in uh craters and there's a thought there that you could build a lunar base with access to the ice and you could use that to generate oxygen um and you could use it to generate power and you could use it to generate water um so y- it would help to The problem with living on the moon is bringing your resources with you versus using what's in the environment. And that environment is not particularly welcoming to people. Um, So that's one of the reasons they've been looking for things like water ice is that would be a a, a way to get some uh, useful material that could be used to help sustain uh, human life there. But the feeling was always that a moon base was a good launching off point to other planets Mm -hmm. and that a moon base would be a good place for us to test out living on a in an environment like that, you know with gravity but um but uh inhospitable to life, otherwise before you went to Mars or something like that I feel like um the that uh you know we can we talk about this a little bit later, but the now the feeling is like it might not be worth it because there's not a lot. There, there there's stuff to learn on the moon, but not as much as you could learn in some place like Mars. It's close, which is good, but the raw materials aren't very good. So I think there's, you know, uh, and, and there's been a lot of thought of you could just do a lot of the stuff in space. Like you don't need to go assemble a spaceship to Mars on a launch pad on the moon. You could just do it in space. And it's a lot less complicated that way. So I think a lot of our sort of 60s space race ideas that we're going to set up a moon base and use it as a jumping off point maybe have proven to be kind of... Uh, Unrealistic, uh, and that the moon, while very interesting and very reachable for us, is maybe not, um, you know, as practical in a lot of ways as as we might have hoped or or dreamed uh, back in the early days of the space race.
1: Right. I mean, it really wasn't until 2008 we got hard confirmation that surface water ice is even a thing. It was an, right. an, an Indian uh, spacecraft whose name I cannot pronounce. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Chandrayaan one, I think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. They were they were doing those like polar orbits and mm-hmm. and trying to get a, a glimpse at the bottom of a, you know. And there's a lot of water ice in the solar system, but like the moon is very dry, <laughs> so right. it's problematic. But but they figure that fr- probably from like comet impacts or something, I think, mm-hmm. um, down in a shaded region at the poles that would not get baked by the sun, hanging out be down there. Some stashes of ice that just like, but it's a it's not it's not a really forgiving place. The moon
1: not some you know if if it were to be used as a jumping off point there's, there's sort of that the high bar to entry to even do that right it's like oh we'll just go to a lunar right. base it's like well that's really hard in of itself and then you want to do that and then experiment on top of it so uh, i do uh, I, I agree with your assessment that the the idea of the moon being this like ideal sort of uh jumping off point to other other missions and other types of exploration seems to be an idea that that has has gone away um even the last you know, the last couple of years with the cancellation of uh the uh, constellation uh program with NASA and some other things. So uh, the moon it's not it's just not it's not a nice place. It's not a place you wanna take your family on yeah. vacation.
0: Exactly, that's true not yet not yet you know maybe some tourism later but if they can find yeah if they can find materials if they can um there's a feeling like uh that there's a lot of helium what is it helium 3 yes yeah. on the on the moon and that and that they could have enormous value and you could use that for for power generation and all sorts of other things so so the idea of uh there is valuable stuff on the moon and that we could maybe use it um but it it's also very inhospitable so it, it you know it's close i mean there are a lot of things there are a lot of things to it because it is so close it is our it is our buddy it's right up there but um you know it's a there's not this is why there's not a lot of talk about let's establish a big moon base is it's kind of hard to see um what the the value is in the moon base compared to going to mars or something like that where which is a much more interesting uh body you know interesting geology you know my favorite thing is geology it's true um
1: yeah Mhm. It's true. It's your it's your favorite thing to talk about on liftoff oh, Yeah. Really. I
0: had somebody somebody tweeted at me with a geology question I said I I was told there would be no geology.
1: <laughs> uh so the um uh, just I want to get these numbers out here real quickly. Like the moon like many other bodies in our solar system has uh just a, a crazy temperature range. Uh I read the minimum temperature can be down to 387 uh it's a minus 387 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, with a maximum of two hundred and fifty three degrees Fahrenheit, which is not pleasant at all, really. <laughs> so you know, like you said, if you're on the moon you do have you do have days and nights and um so for for our,
0: our uh, non uh, for our metric listeners, you know, minus three eighty seven Fahrenheit, it's just really cold. It's like minus two thirty two Celsius and and the uh two fifty F is uh is hundred and twenty one. Yeah. It's, you know, all your water has boiled away, which is why there is not a lot of water ice exactly on uh on the moon because it's not insulated um by like an atmosphere and so when the sun shines it is just crazy hot cold and blast then, and then when it's not there it's crazy cold because mm-hmm. there's nothing to insulate.
1: Right, that that very thin layer of atmosphere it has is is not really doing much in the uh in that what regard. What we're saying
0: is it's just, it is not a good place to be.
1: It's it, you don't want to be in charge of the uh the PR campaign for moon tourism. Yeah. It's a tough gig.
0: Right now it is, yeah. They need to make make like the lunar dome.
1: But we have been to the moon, Jason, with robots and with humans.
0: Well, not personally. Yes, humans have been. So, that, that I mean, that's the thing is that the, the great story about the moon is this is the only um, solar system body other than the Earth that human beings have walked around on. That we sent some people to a place that is its own sphere of gravitational influence and let them just kind of like with mountains and stuff and let them walk around and explore. And, uh, that was the story of the sixties was the, the, uh, the space race and the race to the moon and the Apollo landings that sent, uh, people starting with Apollo 11, um, to walk around and, uh, explore the moon and, you know, it's fitting because it's close and that, you know, it is by far the easiest object to get to in the solar system for earth people, because it's right there. It's, it's orbiting, uh, orbiting us all the time. Uh, so yeah, we sent some, you know, we sent some probes past it, took that picture of the, of the backside and all of that, uh, Soviet sent a bunch of probes down in the, uh, in the fifties, in the mm-hmm. late fifties, um, and uh, the U.S. probes didn't happen until while the Apollo program was really going on. But by the end of the, the 60s, of course, in July 69, um, you know, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong landed in Apollo 11. And uh, and uh, since then, you know, in the 70s, we had the, the Apollo missions. And right now we've got uh, there's a there's a rover, uh Chinese rover there. Mm-hmm. There are three U.S. spacecraft orbiting the moon there's definitely lunar science going on um i remember there were some great pictures from a japanese mission not too long ago uh, that had hd pictures they tried to actually emulate that famous apollo picture of uh the earth rise over the moon um but they did it in uh with an hd uh, video camera it was pretty cool it was so there's definitely a lot of lunar exploration going on on the surface and in orbit um but uh you know, it's obviously its heyday was in the late 60s and early 70s when we were uh, trying to send people up
1: there and succeeded. The, the space race, the uh, the Wikipedia article in the show notes about the, the list of the missions to moon to the moon. It's really a fascinating article and that it has a table of all of these these different things. And many I mean, it was a while there before there was a successful mission. There were a lot of failures early on. Uh, both at launch and with the spacecraft itself, Russia had a couple that basically, you know, stopped communicating, you know, or and are, are assumed to have crashed into the moon. And some of them have been found later by orbiters, you know, where they they make a pass over I and see something that. shiny and be like, "Oh, that's where you crashed forty years ago." Yeah, we, there's we found a found. Crater,
0: little new crater there. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was Ranger Four. Oh, sorry, little dead robot
1: down there. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of stuff over the years, but it, it does seem like while there is some science going on now that the the focus has shifted to Mars because again we we know a lot we know a lot about the moon I mean the, the the amount of info that that we've read to prepare for this is just is is crazy how much data has been collected over the over the decades and while it is sort of convenient that it's in the neighborhood uh, I think the feeling I get is that the return on that investment is is not at all what it used to be when it comes yeah. to uh to moon science so I think that's right It is Sorry re- moon Sorry moon um but yeah the uh yeah, the yeah, launch failure, launch failure, launch failure a column on this Wikipedia yeah. article is a little space a little sad. is
0: hard. Space, space is hard. It took a
1: while for them to get it right. It is hard. Um that's not to say that there's nothing going on. There there are uh, some proposed missions to the moon. Uh the United States is uh planning what they call is I I call this one out because the name lunar flashlight. Yeah. Which is just uh a really sort of adorable name. Uh, in 2018 to to potentially search for uh water ice deposits there are some uh private uh mining and roving type things going on uh in the near future Russia India China and Japan also in the mix it, stuff is still going on it's not to say that it's uh it's you know an area that's been abandoned but it, the the rate at which these missions are rolled out has slowed over the right. years
0: Right. This is also a way that just as Russia and the U.S. in the '60s kind of got up to speed with space stuff by um, using the moon, because you shoot something to the moon, and it's a lot easier to do that than to go to other parts of the solar system. And so, a lot of other countries that are um, still improving their space flight capabilities are using the moon as a, a way to do that. So, like India's space program has got a you know a rover that they're planning on sending. Uh, Sending out there in 2017, um, you know, and you're seeing more uh, China and Japan space agencies working on stuff there, um, and that's cool. And I think uh, even South Korea is talking about about that. So that it's it's a you know that that's a that's a neat thing too. That this is a a more reachable body, and so you're seeing some of the newer players saying, well, you know, let's give that a shot. Let's we're not ready maybe to to shoot something to Venus or Mars or Jupiter or Saturn or wherever, but uh the moon let's try that first and then when we, when that goes well we'll learn from that and then we'll go on to our next thing so that's pretty cool too
1: right and the the question of moon mining always comes up right if, yeah. you know well, helium 3 let's he, get it yeah helium 3 are there are there other things there that would be valuable and like like we talked about doing missions on the moon like if you're going to go build a base uh taking that stuff with you is expensive and uh, you know, occupies space, uh, volume, and weight, well, all of which are things you don't want when you're trying to escape Earth's gravity. But you you have the same issue too when you're coming if you're coming back. Where you know, say that we you know can go up there and, and harvest the moon, which you know may or may not be a good idea. But but getting back is expensive and difficult too. So there's a lot of logistics there. You can't just go up there with a with a chisel and a bucket and and yeah. knock out some moon rocks and come back. Right? It's it's a uh, a very complex thing, and and while there are companies and even countries looking at that, from what I've read, there's really nothing too far down the road so far of as 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 mining the moon, uh, and that's sort of sidestepping all of like the political and and like legal things that you know could be factor as well. Like, well, who says you know that you can go do that? Or what area can you go, and what area can I go in? Lots of questions that just are, are really that stuff. I think people talk about it, but it's not as far down the road as you might think. And uh Jason, because you are the pop culture guy, you have provided us a <laughs> a, a link of book uh lists of books we should read.
0: Yeah, I've got well, I wanted to throw out some mo- books and movies and TV uh just so uh since we're talking about the moon, right? So um nonfiction stuff. Uh Apollo thirteen, which was originally titled Lost Moon. This is Jim Level's uh story of uh the Apollo thirteen mission. Um uh with Jeffrey Kluger, they they uh, wrote that book and it, when the movie, the Ron Howard movie, came out, uh they retitled it Apollo 13. That's what it's about. So it's not a bad title just to call it <laughs> Apollo 13. Um and it's a great story. Fantastic book. Um and then the book, Andrew Chaikin's book, A Man on the Moon, tells the story of the US uh moon program the Apollo program Uh, fantastic nonfiction book highly recommend it I'll also recommend the works upon which um, that were based upon those books so the movie Apollo 13 is based on the Jim Lovell Jeffrey Kluger book Um, it's one of my favorite movies I love it it is the one of the greatest science fiction movies ever made and it's not fiction so (laughs) kind of amazing Um, so if you haven't seen that I don't know why you're listening to this podcast and haven't seen Apollo 13 but the but the HBO series from the earth to the moon is based on the Andrew Chaikin book. And that was the produced by Tom Hanks after he was in Apollo 13. It's a, it's a, I want to say 10 episode series. It's a, it's a series of sort of one hour episodes telling different stories from the Apollo program. And it mostly follows a pattern of like getting to the, getting to the point where they, um, where they go to Apollo 11 and it tells that story in a really great way. Um, and uh tells Apollo 13 story from a very different perspective. It's sort of the news media and the people on the ground instead of the people up in uh, up in the spacecraft because there's a movie of that. Um, it's yes, it's very good. So highly recommend the HBO series from the Earth to the Moon. It's on DVD, probably on HBO Go. I don't even know, but uh, so great. So check definitely check that out. Um, in terms of fiction, I just finished Neil Stevenson's book, Seven Eves, and mm-hmm. um, it's only about the moon in the sense that in the first uh, chapter of the book, the moon is destroyed. <laughs> Speaking of switching off the sun um, and and space 1999, the moon leaving Earth's orbit. In this, some unknown um, agent uh, basically passes through the moon. Maybe it's a black hole or something like that. And the moon sort of like shatters into little bits and it's going to threaten everybody on the Earth. Um, but it's moon-related, so I wanted to mention it. And there is a great book that's available for free on the web called Inherit the Stars by James P. Hogan. Uh, it's a guy, I actually growing up in a small town in California, he was our local science fiction writer. He lived in our town for um, more than a decade, I believe. And he's an Irishman um, uh, and has passed, since passed away. Um, but uh, I talked to him a few times and was a, was a very kind to me, very nice guy. Um, And this book is a book he wrote on a bet, essentially, with his co-workers at the Digital Equipment Corporation in, um, I believe, in London, um, saying that he, I could write a better book than that. And they said, well, do it. And this is the book he wrote. And uh, it's probably his most famous book. And the premise of it is that there are astronauts on the moon um, and they walk around a giant boulder and on the far side they find a dead body in a spacesuit, And how did it get there? Um, how could there possibly be a dead body you know on the moon we, we we know everybody who's ever gone to the moon and yet there's a dead body in a spacesuit here and it leads that mystery leads to a lot of great sort of uh, science and stuff uh, it's from like the, the late 70s but um, Bane uh, James Hogan's publisher has it up as a They used to have it up as a free download of an ebook, but it's. I think it's just on the web now. Um, So check it out. It's part of a series, but uh, that's a fun book with lots of moon stuff in it. And uh, the only other moon things I wanted to mention from pop culture uh, are the Duncan Jones directed film Moon, which I just had to mention because it's a lot of fun and is set on the moon. And it's basically Sam Rockwell, and he's on the moon. And uh, there's a plot twist. And uh, I'll also mention 2001, which we always think of as being about Jupiter and crazy computers and stuff but there are um you know there's a whole chunk at the beginning of the movie after the apes after the people apes bone thing uh is uh is a a spaceship going to the moon like a commercial airliner space liner going to the moon and uh and there's a shocking discovery that's made on the moon that kicks off the rest of the the mission so i feel like i got to mention 2001 when i mentioned the moon and finally the video game destiny famously has a grown worthy line from uh, peter Dinklage that is that wizard came from the moon so if you go to the moon watch out for wizards oh getcha yeah and that's my pop culture download about the moon maybe that's a new segment too whatever we talk about there you go. It's like what books what books and movies are, are based on that so that's that's my uh, that, I'm, that not exhaustive by any means but some things that came to mind that i wanted to mention
1: no, I think it's a lot of good high points. And you know, I think the moon captures the imagination of, of people and it has for centuries, right? Cuz it It's just, right there. Yeah, you just walk out of your of your cave and and see it, you know. It's you're... not a dot, right? It's not a shiny
0: dot. Like <laughs> right. until until Galileo got the I mean, you could see like you can see the sort of like the crescent of Venus if you look if you got really good eyes, but like until Galileo's telescope it was um to resolve a, a, a body in the solar system, it was it was pretty hard to do. But the moon, you just look up and there it is, and you can see it, and it has personality. So how could it not inspire our imaginations? It's been our you know planet's companion um, for a lot longer than humans were here. But for all of human history, um, we've been able to look up, um, even, even you know from the first people to walk the earth to, to look up at the moon and wonder about that that big. Uh, the big ball in the sky and, and uh, what its personality is and what it means.
1: Right. What cheese it's made out of.
0: Yes, indeed. That's that's something scientists haven't been able to tell us yet is what form of cheese the mm. moon is made of. We still... I know you'd think that with all those Apollo missions we would know, we still don't know. It's what the government doesn't want to tell us. See, there's some people out there who believe the lunar landings were faked. And those people... People believe a lot of things that are complete nonsense and that's one of them. <laughs> um, but the, the true conspiracy, Stephen... Is the cheese conspiracy? They won't tell us what cheese the moon is made out of. I think it's outrageous. Probably frankly. Manchego. Could be. Although all those holes could be Swiss. I'm just saying. All those all those craters, that could be a Swiss cheese layer. Hmm. Possible.
1: I think that does it for this week, Jason. I, I, think, I, think, I think. I think we're think done. We were at,
0: yeah, I think. I think. I think so. How do we? Uh, how do people get in touch with us, Stephen?
1: Uh, so people can find you, Mister Jason Snell, on Twitter at j snell and your website six com. you're also the host of a whole bunch of podcasts on the incomparable network as well as here relay fm you are uh mr upgrade and one one half or one quarter of the clockwise podcast which is a a great great show two great shows if you're into uh technology and an apple and that sort of stuff can find me on twitter at ismh uh, right at 512pixels.net and you can find me here on relay fm as well um till next week or the week after nope fortnightly 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 bye jason goodbye